Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. How do you do? Mr. Carl Lindley feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is Claire with Billy, my one Billy for this episode, and Mommy, because I'm never going to say her for real name until I'm an adult, so that is that. Oh my gosh. Even as an adult. Like, even <laughs> I as was going to say, I'm amused that you think as an adult that won't get you murdered on yeah, the spot. I, I don't I don't call either my mom or dad Bill or Sue. Oh, even saying it out loud. No. <laughs> do you, like you want to something funny, Claire? This is for real. I don't ever know what to call grandma and grandpa if you guys aren't there. Because when the kids are there, I just call them grandma and grandpa. When the kids are not there, I'm like, hey, you. Because they're not my mom and dad, and Bill and Sue sounds really weird coming out of my mouth. I have never called uh, Grammy anything other than Dr. Bullard. Yeah. I mean, no, seriously. No. So, you know, parents but and you names. Call her Grammy when we're around. Well, sure, I, well, Yeah, Grammy, sure. But... Grammy or Dr. Bullard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where were we with the intro? You were saying names, and then I interrupted you with a story about what we call our parents. Um, so whatever you're watching us on right now, hit that subscribe button in the corner and give us a five-star rating. And if you want to talk to us, um, probably like comments or Twitter or whatever, it's um, follow the cinematic journey at B-A-C-E-A podcast. All right, cool. Let us know. If you guys are watching the movies along with us, we're always happy to hear what you think about the movies uh, and especially what your kids think about the movies as you share them. Uh, what are we here to talk about today? We're here to talk about Frankenstein. I'm so excited about this project. Um, so I'm going to just interrupt for a second before we get into it. Um, you know, we went to uh, Brad and I went to the Overlook Film Festival uh, earlier this year, and we got to interview a bunch of filmmakers. And one of the filmmakers names is Larry Fessenden. And he made a movie called Depraved uh, that comes out on September the 13th. Uh, so if you are a big Frankenstein fan, you're going to want to go see Depraved because Depraved is his like modern retelling of this particular Frankenstein story. Um, and while we were talking to him, he was going to show us the poster artwork for the movie that he had done. He pulled out his phone and on the back of the case of his phone is a picture of the Boris Karloff Frankenstein that we just watched. And um, so James Whale's Frankenstein, James Whale, the guy that directed this movie, has been such an influence in Fessenden's life that he feels like all of the stories that he's telling are riffs on those stories. 
And when I was talking to him about this project that you and I were doing, when we were watching these movies, he was so thrilled when I said that we had sat down and watched Night of the Living Dead together. And one of the things that he said was that, like, he's so worried that people will lose an appreciation for black and white movies. And he loved the idea of us sharing classics with you. And so I am really excited to get to a point in our project where we can go back and look at some of these universal horror monsters. And so Frankenstein seemed like the best place to kick off this particular project. So let's just let's just start out with some broad strokes. What Hold did on. you Okay, what? What do you got? Before we start, um if you notice that I'm talking weird, it's cuz I just got fillings from the dentist and they're still numbing in my mouth. Now you may go on. <laughs> Fair enough. You've been duly warned. If I sound weird while we're talking, it's because it's I'm weird. weird. Yeah, all right. We're on the same wavelength. Um okay, so broad strokes So we just finished watching Frankenstein. Um, It's a black and white movie. It was only 70 minutes long. Um, Like, what did you think of it? Did you enjoy watching it? I enjoyed it. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Do you have any other thoughts straight away? Did anything seem different or particularly interesting to you that stood out? Compared to all the horror movies we've watched, this one was not that scary, actually. I agree. I don't think Frankenstein, I don't think Frankenstein is scary in the way like um, you might be the killer can be a little bit scary where there's machetes and blood and gore and guts everywhere. (laughs) Um, To me, that's not the scary part of Frankenstein at all. Um, Danielle, had you seen this Frankenstein before? No, she told me it was her first time. Yeah, I had not seen um, this this movie i've seen scenes from this movie because sure, they're yeah. so famous yep. um but i had never sat down and watched the whole film all the way through now i did actually read uh mary shelley's frankenstein um in high school and claire was asking me what i remembered from the book and i was like oh my gosh actually not that much mm-hmm. you know m- more what i remember is the story of mary shelley writing frankenstein mm-hmm. but, like that stands out in my memory a lot more than the actual story did i've i have sort of a soft spot for frankenstein because um, it is a really classic story that people have have kind of latched onto and remade a million times. If you search Frankenstein on Netflix, you know it'll say, "Well, here's 37 titles related to Frankenstein," um, and it all came from um, an author that was a woman and openly a woman. She was not writing under a male pen name, which was really unusual for the mm-hmm. time. So, so I'm really excited to talk about this movie and to see how Claire feels about it. It kind of reminds me of the, um, I don't know if I've said this in another podcast, but um, I remember in in um, drunk people telling telling true stories. Drunk history. <laughs> I remember drunk people telling, it's okay guys, it's a, it's a TV show called Drunk History where people get drunk, and, oh no, 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 now I see why you might be concerned a child's watching that. Anyways, Drunk History. So um, they're talking, so they had this one episode where they were talking about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and in one of the scenes, they showed her someone, some one of the male people who was telling the story, I think it was a male person actually, telling the story, and every, and even all the girls there, all of them had beards. I don't, I don't know if you saw that, but there were like, but there were like little, little hairs all over the mouths of, of the women. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember them. I don't remember them having beards. I've seen women in the Drunk History show play men 
and wear kind of the very obviously fake beards. But I definitely didn't remember that as part of this. Um, but I think one of the things that I find very interesting about like that idea of, of a woman uh, writing the, the Frankenstein story um, and James Whale going to make this. Um, I don't know if you know this, but James Whale uh, was openly gay uh, in Hollywood while he was directing movies, which was incredibly rare. Um, and to be honest, is I think still extremely rare today. I did not know that. Um, and that's really interesting. I did know that um, the uh, Frankenstein kind of has a special place uh, among the LGBT community in, in some demographics of it because um, Mary Shelley was very open with her sexuality and she was allegedly involved in relationships with different people and not all of them men. Uh, so I, I think definitely one of the things that I want to get into is um, is the idea of, of Mary Shelley's sexuality and especially of James Whale's sexuality as he's making the movie Frankenstein because I really fundamentally think that that's a huge part of this movie. But before we do that, I want to have a basic, like just simple conversation. Claire, do you think that the monster is in fact a monster? No, to me, he kind of looked, um, he kind of looked like, he just kind of looked like a man with a whole bunch of scars from a war to me. He doesn't look like a real monster. What makes a monster? A monster? It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to look disgusting with, with, with eyes coming out of their head. Um, snakes for hair, Medusa. Sure. It doesn't have to be an actual monster. A monster can also be a modern person who's just really mean that you call a monster because they're so rude. So actions make a monster. Yeah. All right. Well, then, in the movie, we see the monster throw the girl into the pond. We see the monster kill and hang um, Henry Frankenstein's assistant, Fritz. Fritz. Uh, and we see the monster kill Henry Frankenstein. He didn't kill him. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. We see him. Well, he. you're right. Uh, we see him try to kill him. He throws him from the top of the windmill, and, and Henry does survive, but he tries to kill him. Um, do those actions make the monster a monster? Yeah, but it's not his fault. It's the brain. He literally has the brain. Because in the beginning of the movie, in like the first 40 minutes, we saw Fritz climb into the museum because the brain of their monster, by the way, I put quotation marks on that, <laughs> um, monster, they, it, they said that they didn't have a brain. And then the next scene is Fritz climbing into the museum, climbing into the thing. So we see all the people and stuff um, in, the cl- in the class. And then after the class, the people walk in. The Fritz walks in and he dro- and after a bell toll, he drop he grabbed the right brain and then he drops it and it shatters and then he grabs the then he grabs the abnormal brain, which I put also quotation marks on mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Which is the which is the brain of a psycho killer. Mm-hmm. So you think um that the actions that the monster chooses to take when he throws the girl into the lake uh, or he kills Fritz, are because of his criminal brain, that he's making an active choice to do murder because he is murderous. He wasn't trying to murder her. No, you don't think so? 
No, because he saw the idea of all the flowers and stuff, and he thought that maybe he thought that maybe it would happen to her because he liked her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would try to murder a guy, a person he liked, mm-hmm. because he only murdered those guys. He only tried to murder those guys because they were being rude to him. Like Fritz was whipping. Well, him. Well, I mean, rude. You say rude, but like you say, Fritz was whipping him. And why was Fritz whipping him? Did Fritz need to be whipping him? No. He just tortured the guy. So so Fritz. So then there's another question. Is Fritz a monster? Yeah. But also, I don't know if you saw that, but um, in, when he's hunched over, you kind of saw a hump. I didn't tell anyone this during the movie, but the whole time that he was there, I would call him the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> In Shelley's story, um, I, I think in, in Shelley's story, uh, the assistant's name is Igor, and Igor very famously has kind of a hunch as he walked. But I, I find it interesting that even in um, uh, James Whale's Frankenstein, Fritz does have a hunch, and he walks with a cane, but he is nimble on his feet. I mean, he scales that post, he cuts the guy down, and he's extremely strong. Um, so he's definitely not somebody to be messed around with. Danielle, do you think that the monster is a monster? Um, I think that a a big theme in Frankenstein is fear of other and and treatment of of people who don't have anybody to stand up for them. Um, and I think that Fritz has been outcast by society because of the way that he looks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's clearly born with some kind of skeletal deformity. Um, and even though, as you pointed out, it doesn't really impact his ability to uh, move around or to do things, he's very useful. Um, he ends up being a scientist assistant, which is a perfectly respectable um, career. He doesn't demonstrate any particular lack of cognitive ability. Um, and yet he's shunned and treated poorly by the villagers because he doesn't look um, mm. what they consider to be normal. Um, and I think that that lifetime of poor treatment mm-hmm. has uh, put something inside of him where he just desperately wants to feel superior to someone. So when he gets Frankenstein put in front of him, or not exactly. Frankenstein, when he gets the monster put in front of him, that's finally somebody yes. that he can be the boss of and be mean to. Exactly. And hmm. and so, you know, when you take... Um, uh, if you look at children, for example, children who are abused typically grow up and turn into abusers. Um, and so Fritz has been emotionally and they don't really show it, but I'm sure physically just based on the time period, Mm -hmm. um, abused by the villagers for his entire life. And Dr. Frankenstein is probably the only person who's ever really, um, interacted with him as though he were worth anything. And even he keeps him in this tower. dick to him. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's he's not going home and bringing Fritz like, here, come to dinner with my family or anything. Yeah. Um, and so he, you know, after a Henry lifetime of that, go home. yeah, true, he his home go is home. the tower. Very true. Um, so I think after a lifetime of being treated like that, when he stumbles upon a creature who is even more um, disfigured than he is, who is even less acceptable to society than he is, he does to him as has been done to him. Exactly. So then. Claire, my my question to you is I I kind of I have this idea that in the Frankenstein movie that we just watched that there is only one villain. There is only one actual monster in that movie who had a choice to be anything else 
and chose villainy and monstrosity, and that that person is Henry Frankenstein. What do you think about that? I don't think he's done anything villainy. Why? Well, he did grave robbing, but other than that, he didn't show, and it didn't show any of him doing anything wrong. You don't think so? Other than grave robbing. He, so he stole bodies, and I, I mean, I think at the, at the time that the movie is supposed to take, a lot of medical science involved the stealing of bodies so that they could study them uh, and, and cut them open and kind of figure out how the insides work because people were afraid of that. But once he creates life, how does he treat it? Well, but back up a minute, though. I think that there's some implication in the movie that he's committed murder because his mentor says that they expelled him from the university because he was not happy that the bodies were not fresh enough and he wanted them to stop asking questions about where they were coming from. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't see him kill anybody, but I think that that conversation implies that at the very least he is notionally fine with the idea of murdering somebody if it furthers science. Or at the very least, he's following violent people around, waiting for them to do violence, and instead of stopping it, is swooping in and stealing the body. So he might be a murderer in order to get the body parts that he needs. Um, And once he does make life, uh, how does he treat it? Well, he probably would have treated it better, because you saw him treating it good when before he knew that there was a murderous guy's brain in him he probably could have treated it if there wasn't a murder guy brain in it in frankenstein not the not can we just call him henry and then frankenstein the monster because i keep trying to explain it oh man there's a i i don't really yeah that is a whole thing because there is a whole cadre of like because of the popularity of the monster, most people think of the monster as Frankenstein, and there is just a whole group of jerks out there in the world who are like, actually, uh, <laughs> the doctor was Frankenstein, and the monster was the monster. Um, how about we call the monster, if you don't like calling him the monster, let's call him by the actor's name who played him, which is Boris Karloff. Okay, I'm just going to call him Karloff. Karloff. Okay. All right. So, continue. So, if Karloff had the... Had the um, had the normal brain, which Fritz was supposed to get. Because I'm pretty sure that they don't show it, but I'm pretty sure he clearly explains to him that there's probably going to be a class with a normal brain and an abnormal brain there. And then he grabs the abnormal brain. <laughs> that There's a uh, in another movie that's a joke movie um, called Young Frankenstein by a guy named Mel Brooks who makes a lot of comedies. Um, there is a scene where the Frankenstein in that movie explains to his assistant, Igor, that he has to go and get the normal brain. And Igor goes and, and gets the brain of a person called Abby Normal. Um, and the the, the, the the name on the jar is Abnormal, but uh, Igor processes that as Abby Normal's brain. Abby Normal. <laughs> but here's my question then. So Frankenstein has created life. And he has been gifted with a life and the fruits of his scientific labor with something that is not traditional or falls outside of the norm. And as soon as he finds out it falls outside of the norm, he beats it, he tortures it, and he locks it away. What do you think about that? I really don't want to... I kind of don't like the idea of him being a, being a bad guy. So I I I feel like that's well. Wait, like, wait, hang on. 
why don't you like the idea of Henry Frankenstein being a bad guy? What bothers you about that? Because he has a wife. I'm just going to... Because he has Elizabeth. Okay. He has, he has people in his life that are important. And um, I feel like if, if, if he had kids... It would be very unsettling for him to be for him to be bad to other people when he has when he has a family. So he's he's got a lot of good things in his life and he's damaging them by the choices that he's making. So when I said earlier and when we were talking about do you think Frankenstein is a scary movie? That's the horror of the movie for me is that Henry Frankenstein has so much good in his life. His um, father is a rich baron of a town, and they are obscenely wealthy, and I've got a whole lot of personal issues about the acquisition of immense amounts of wealth, more than you could ever need in your life. But his dad loves him. His fiance loves him. And he's educated, and he's got Fritz all these things in him. the world that he can. He's got a loyal assistant in Fritz, and he takes all of that and he destroys it. But I kind of feel like you're missing a key piece here because, you know, this book and this movie are very much about obsession. Oh, the, I agree for sure. And, yes. And the dangers of obsession. And I don't think Frankenstein is a bad guy. Exactly. I think he's a he's a victim of his own obsession. Oh, I um, hesitate to call him a victim at all, but I understand the point but, that you're making. But he, you know, first of all, I totally disagree that he beats the monster because he actually seizes the whip from Fritz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, I'm pretty sure that that fire scene where he's like holding the fire. I'm pretty sure he's trying to figure out what scares him. So that if he starts to be bad, he can use that to scare him. Yeah, and it shows him in the in the initially interacting with the monsters, saying, you know, okay, sit down, come over here. Like he's trying to interact with him, um, and and teach him. And then when the monster proves to be a little bit more than he can handle, he doesn't really know what to do, and so he ends up chaining him up. And that's like the worst thing you could do because now. Um, you've started this cycle of treating him poorly and, and him reacting badly to his handlers. But that's that's why I, that is exactly why I, I agree what you're saying about your missing component about his obsession. And that's definitely something that I think that we need to talk about in the course of this conversation. But what that shows me is that his act of creation about being life is very much as he says at the moment of creation. I now know what God feels like. Yeah. And when his creation doesn't respond exactly the way that he feels it should, he now knows what God felt like when Adam and Eve broke the rule and ate the apple and when the people turned against his teachings and all of that and he becomes a vengeful God and he dismisses his creation and he puts him in a corner and he loses interest in him because he is not exactly what he envisioned him to be. And in my mind, that is monstrosity that you can see every single day in the world. You don't see a stitched together monster walking around accidentally throwing young girls in lakes who can't happen to swim. Um, You see people who are obsessed with themselves, doing damage to the people around them because they are so obsessed with their own interests and their own pursuits. 
What do you think about that, Claire? That reminds me of a um, of a story. I don't know where I've gotten it from, but I heard a story at school that passed from someone who created the story from watching something. And it says, well, it's a true story, I guess. Um, it says that um, that most people in the world, if they don't like a person, oh, I know what it's from. I know what it's from now. It's from Maui. It's, I mean, Moana, where Maui just gets thrown out by his parents because his parents don't like him. Okay. What about it? So saying that there's people in the world that what that reminded me of is um, people who, who just because because they just want someone to be perfect and if they don't invi- and if they're not how they wanted it to be, they'll just throw them away like they're nothing. So just like Maui's parents um, placed a lot of expectations on him to act a certain way and were willing to throw him out of his home to teach him a lesson, and by teach him a lesson, I mean force him to comply with their expectations, uh, that's a thing that happens everywhere. I'm sure that you feel like your mom and I have expectations of you. Do you feel like that sometimes the expectations that your mom and I place on you don't match who you feel like who you are, that we're trying to make you be something you don't feel like you are? Sometimes. Sure. Give example. Uh, sometimes I want to do my own thing, and then, like, I come in here and I ask you if I can if I can ride, and if I can, like, ride with Zara, Maddie, and Jay to Seneca Ridge and back. Um, you'll be like, no, you can't. It's too far. Who's with you and stuff like that? And then I'm, and then everyone leaves without me, and then I'm just left to do nothing. Right. And so sometimes you feel like you're limited by the expectations and the rules that other people place on you, right? I think one of the major themes of the Frankenstein story is exactly what we were talking about with the monster and with Fritz in that they are different. They are not what society wants them to be. And just like parents, and just like parents can put expectations on their children to be a certain way, society and culture puts expectations on all the members of that society and culture to be the same as the rest of them. There's an intense pressure to be the same. And the monster and Fritz, they're not the same. And because of it, they are viewed as villains and monsters and treated terribly. Kind of like with segregation, um, the um, the English, um, the white people thought that the um, black people were different than them, so they treated them terribly. That's exactly correct. That's it. That is an exactly an example of that. When you have mass groups of people who either directly or not directly, just through kind of group mind, decide what's normal and what is not normal, anyone who doesn't fit the definition of normal will be treated terribly. Right. And a lot of where it gets to decide normal is the people in power. And so like you were talking about in segregation, in America, white people have most of that power. And so whiteness becomes normal. 
and anything else becomes not normal. And so it is valued less and it is treated worse. And and that is an enormous driver of racism in this country. I think it's also important to examine our use of the word normal there because, you know, to me, if you just ask me, what does normal mean? I would say, well, it's sort of a synonym of natural. Like it's, yeah. it's something that exists in nature as opposed to something that I force to exist in nature. And, and when you look at these types of situations where society has deemed something to be abnormal, in many cases, it is something that exists naturally. It is skin tone. Um, it is hair texture. Uh, it is um, sexuality. It is gender um, expression. It's things that, you know, people do not choose to be different. People are born different. Um, and and if you have ever been treated as though you are different, the idea that anybody would choose that is kind of ridiculous. But um, and yet the well, even just using a word like normal implies that there was some other option that they passed on. Right. Normal means abnormal and different means that there's something that somebody should be. And to be perfectly honest, I mean, outside of saying the color red is different than the color green, normal and abnormal are, I think, nonsense words that are used as ways to control people and expectations. I was saying, like, for another for another example, uh, Mama was tell Mama told me a story um, a, a time ago where she wanted where she was very good at where she was very good at a specific sport. But her school wouldn't let her be on the, t- but her coach and her principal wouldn't let her be on the team because she was a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Because it wasn't normal for women or young girls to engage in sports. And it was so not normal, which again is a nonsense word, that Congress had to pass an act that tied the funding of school money that made schools create sports programs for young women or they wouldn't get funding for the sports programs and other things that they had going on in the school for the boys because it was such an enormous problem. And it wasn't just that there were a few people going, we're not going to let women play sports. Um, That idea of normal gets into our brains and young women thought it was wrong to play sports and that it was strange to do that. And that's why it's so dangerous. And that's what I love about the story of Frankenstein. It, it's really a story. Um, one of the ways that we kind of talk about that is becoming the other. Um, you have us and you have others. And what I feel like normal and abnormal does is it creates an us and an other. And feeling like you're part of the other, like you're on the outside of us just for being who you are, is so upsetting and so destructive. You know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is um, in the Frankenstein movie, the monster has accidentally killed the little girl. The village is now roaming the countryside with torches, ready to kill this evil thing. And you Wait, have how did they know that it was Frankenstein who killed her though? Because they had no idea who Karloff. Karloff. 
Karloff. Who killed Karloff? How did they know? Because no one told. Because the guy just found her dead. He didn't see it happen. So there's way more history here than we have time to get into. But if you ever um, do some research on the history of police forces and crime solving, it's really fascinating. Um, And in this particular time period, um, law and order such as we know it really did not exist. Um, And there was a belief, a pretty widespread belief, that good people, right, people who were normal, people who were in our group, were not capable of violence. And people who were capable of violence were other. They were foreigners. They were scary people. They were not members of our village. And so when this little girl is murdered, I don't know that they're specifically looking for the monster. I think they're just looking for somebody who doesn't belong there. Like like straight up, if they had found a guy who was just kind of traveling along the countryside that wasn't from their village, they might have just killed that dude. Um, and I, I think it's not like your mom says, it's not so much that they're looking for Karloff in this case. It's that they're looking for the person that doesn't belong. And Karloff in his giant blocky, awkward frame, uh, and bolts sticking out of his neck clearly doesn't belong. But what I found interesting about that is that when they're going through the countryside, Henry Frankenstein is in the mob with the torch in his hand going, yeah, let's. Let's go find this guy. I we gotta get the the, the bad guy here. Um, yeah, and, he never says. Oh, by the way, I created him. Right. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't fess up to it. He passes. He passes as a normal person in this spot because he looks normal, but he's not, and we know he's not, and we know he's different from everyone. But they don't see that, and so he, unlike Karloff can show up to this village, to this group of people, and be in this mob and appear to be normal and not abnormal. And I think that's a really big part of um, of Frankenstein, especially since James Whale is openly gay. Um, and one of the things that kind of people talk about is whether or not you, know, you are easily identified as somebody... Um, because of the way that you present on the outside, whether you are easily identified as somebody who doesn't seem to be normal, whatever that means to you. And they have this really amazing shot where he's at the front line of the mob and he knows that they're going to kill this abnormal thing. And I believe that he knows he is as much a monster as Karloff is in this case, or at, at the very least as responsible and he's looking around like, am I going to be found out? Is everybody going to find out who I really am? And he's scared to be discovered for who he is. He's scared to be discovered that he's not normal. And I think that's part of what makes Frankenstein such a tragic story is that I I, I do think of, of Henry Frankenstein in this case as the villain because he's a narcissist and is, he's obsessed with his own interests and he's dismissive of his creation when it doesn't meet his expectations. But he is as much a victim as Fritz is and as Karloff is of a society that judges him for thinking differently than others. And and to me, that's what this whole story is about. Yeah, see, I think the true villain of Frankenstein is ignorance. Hmm. I think that... Um, I was wondering if, like, what if I was in the movie and I wasn't from the village 
and I was still a kid, do you think that they would still have murdered? Do you think that they would have murdered a kid because she was abnormal? By the way, I put quotation marks. I will answer you honestly. Uh, I think kid has nothing to do with it. I think the fact that you are a young woman has everything to do with it. I do not believe that they would have assumed a woman had the capacity to do murder in that case because women were assumed to be too delicate to do such things. Whereas you and I know that's nonsense. I hardcore disagree with you. Do you really think so? If Claire turns up in that village with the same personality that our Claire has, they burn her as a witch. (laughs) I am not joking. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, 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 yes. I agree. I totally agree. If Claire, as she exists now, yes, shows up, the way that you talk and the way that you think and the things that you feel are owed to you because you are a person as much as anyone else would definitely get you labeled as a witch in those times because that's really what witches were. I don't know if you've kind of gotten to this point in history is witches were women who just were not normal. They were abnormal women who uh, spoke their mind and thought for themselves. Um, I mean, this idea of normal and other and the demonizing of the other and the attacking and the murdering of the other is a thing that runs through the entire history of the world. And it is much, much more than just this Frankenstein story. But the beauty of the Frankenstein story is that in 70 minutes, you see all of that compacted into this one tiny story where all of it, all of its complicated stuff is on display. I think it's an amazing piece of work. If I had a different personality that I was like a follow the flow girl kind of type and I was like what they call normal, quotation again. Okay, so whenever I say normal or abnormal, I'm going to put quotation marks on that just to put you guys clear with that. So at, so I was a normal person mm-hmm. um, do you, and I actually committed the murder on accident. Mm-hmm. Like me and Maria were, were best friends and we were playing in the pond and I knew how to swim perfectly, but she didn't and I didn't know because we took swimming classes together, but in separate rooms, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And um, so you drag her into the water thinking you're having a good time and she can't swim. She accidentally drowns. Do you get blamed for the murder? No, I'm saying like, what if I like push her in? Because I think that she knows how to swim. And then she drowns. Good God, Claire. Why are you pushing your friends into the water when they can't swim? I didn't know. (laughs) So I push her in the water. You set your friends on fire. Who are you to judge? (laughs) That's true. In fairness, that's just just to be totally clear. That's not literally. I did a D and D, a Dungeons and Dragons event at the Chattanooga Film Festival, where uh, I accidentally set one of my party members on fire. Accidentally, Dave. Accidentally. I have never played a role playing game, but I feel like you can't accidentally do anything. I think you might be full of crap. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> I played um, a role play game. You cannot. You cannot accidentally do that. I so I I think you know if you were to go with the flow and and that and and that you didn't fess up to the fact that you had pushed her into the water that they would not assume that it was you. I I think unless you told them that you did it, uh, they would assume that some like if you all you had to do in that spot honestly is say some strange man came and attacked us. Well, and I'm really glad that you brought that up and that you asked this question, Claire, because historically, um, women and white women in particular, um, have kind of a nasty habit of blaming other people when they are the culprit because this pervasive belief in the culture was that women were innocent. 
And so when a young girl who belongs to the group in power says, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was that guy. Whoever that guy is was executed, even though they didn't do anything. There's a there's a whole um, a book called To Kill a Mockingbird um, that is a story uh, about a woman who blames a black man for something and he gets put on trial for it. Um, and, uh, that, that it, like that concept is the central concept of the book. But so I think we've talked a lot about the philosophy of Frankenstein and a lot about kind of the, like the cultural significance of the story. What did you think of the movie itself? Uh, you know, that movie was in black and white. And I really think that aside from Night of the Living Dead, this is the only black and white film that you've watched. Um, how do you feel about watching a black and white movie? It was okay. But I have watched some movies, some other things, because I read a book in black and white and it had a DV disc attached, and I watched it and it was also black and white. So I've seen a couple other black and white things. But... A book where the, the pictures were in black and white. Yeah, but it had a DVD attached. I was going to gonna book, say, which, which books are you white. reading that are not in black and white? These are all books in black and white because the ink is black and the pages are white. I'm making a dad joke. Stop looking at me like that. So you've seen a few other things. Does watching a black and white movie make it feel like less of a movie to you? Does it make it feel less interesting? Mm, no. Okay. I, I'm really excited that we're starting this series of black and white films with her. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I discovered... Uh, teaching high school students is that when I would try to show them movies in black and white, I mean, really great movies that uh, you don't need to be a history. I mean, I was teaching history at the time, but you don't need to be a history buff to enjoy this movie kind of thing. Um, As soon as they saw it was in black and white, they just shut down. I'm not watching this. I'm going to put my head down. I'm not interested in this. And they very much had an idea that all black and white movies were boring. Um, And I think that there's kind of a, a, Foundational abnormal thing in there. Oh, a little bit. bit. (laughs) Absolutely. You're right. Um, but I think that there's a an age at which you need to be exposed to black and white films. Or and if you miss that, I don't know that you're getting that back, you know, because those um preconceived ideas that you carry with you can be very powerful. Um, and you could in theory, as a film student in your 20s, decide, nope, I'm going to develop an appreciation for black and white films. But most people won't do that. No. Um, and so I'm excited that Claire is not going to be one of those kids. Um, Maybe. No, you're not. Well, we'll me. see. I mean, we'll just we'll keep watching movies. Um, the rest of the movies that we have in our universal horror lineup are um, black and white. are mostly black and white. I don't um, think there could be any original universal horror movies that, that are colored because they all came out when movies were black and white. Yeah, that's true. Even televisions. They were baby they were babies. Television were baby at the time. Well, babies quotation mark at the time, so all of the television stuff was black and white. We have we might have an opportunity to see Singing in the Rain, um, which is a classic musical uh, from the early fifties, which is colorized. And I was thinking about that in our future lineup as a possibility. So yeah, but but you're right. The Universal Horror Monsters are in black and white. Um, but I I've found Frankenstein just to be a really enjoyable watch. Like I mean, I I felt like the story clipped along. I felt like it was visually very interesting. I mean, they set that windmill on fire. Uh, that thing is burning in real life. 
and it's a bit daunting when you think about kind of the people on that set setting this giant thing on fire as they film it from a distance while what appears to be 50 extras running around it. I imagine there's an interesting story about making that particular shot. Since I'm so used to watching color movies, um, when I saw the black and white movie, I didn't even think of it. I didn't see black and white. I saw color. <laughs> okay. I, I think what she's saying is that her brain kind of filled in what it would look like in color. You know, like uh, when they're showing the orange blossoms, for example, you like you know that those are supposed to be orange. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, her dress is clearly white and stuff like that. All right. So we've been talking for about 40 minutes. Um, uh, Claire, Danielle, do you guys have anything that you feel like that we haven't talked about Frankenstein that we should get into? Well, I I think we spent a lot of time talking about uh, whether or not Frankenstein was a villain Mm -hmm. or whether or not he was a monster. Um, But uh, we didn't really talk about his role as a scientist very much. And, you know, historically, scientists, inventors, people um, that were sort of ahead of their time have also been an othered group sure, um, and treated poorly. And I think it's one of the interesting things in this film is we see early in the film that he's been expelled from this university where he presumably, you know, had some sort of accomplished post. Um, Cause it doesn't sound to me like a student being kicked out. It sounds more like he was a professor or um, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you know, he loses his job and his father is uh, kind of ranting and raving in the castle that he's not living up to his expectations and he's not coming to produce himself for the marriage. And, you know, he doesn't want to hear anything about his experiments. He wants to know where he is and that kind of thing. So he's alienating himself from his family. He's opened up a, a rift between himself and his fiance, where his best friend is waiting to swoop in and take Elizabeth from him. Sure. Um, and then his mentor gets killed, his loyal assistant gets killed, um, and then ultimately he ends up, I'm thinking paralyzed, because he's thrown off of the top of the tower, and they Mm -hmm. show him in bed, Mm -hmm. um, and it's not really clear to me that he's going to make a full recovery, so he loses a lot, Mm -hmm. um, over the course of this film in pursuit of knowledge. Now, you can definitely challenge whether his pursuit was ethical to begin with. Um, but ultimately, you know, his obsession is in furthering this scientific knowledge. Um, and so I'm just kind of curious, Claire, um, you know, they show all of these bad things happening to him. And there are several scenes where he's being um, attacked or beaten uh, by this monster that he created which I think may be kind of symbolic of his obsession destroying him. Um, You know, what do you think about um, this idea that, you know, pursuing something that you love could cost you everything? Mm. Like if there's something that you really want, like you really want to be a professional singer, you really want to be a dancer, you really want to be an artist, you really want to be a filmmaker, um, and you give up everything, you know, you may be, um, not getting along with your family cause they're not supporting what you're doing and you've given up a job that pays well and that kind of thing to pursue your dream. But ultimately there is a possibility that that can, uh, impact you negatively like it does Frankenstein. 
How much would you sacrifice for greatness? You know that I would probably sacrifice everything. <laughs> yeah, you're not really a... Why do you say that? <laughs> why, why do you say it like that even? Because um, when I want something, whether you tell me no or not, I will most likely choose to do it anyway. Fair enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think that that's a good way to live your life? No. Why? Well, because um, I think that um, if you're if you're if you're not following basic rules, like in Brave, the mom is telling her, "Don't go into the fire. Don't don't eat like a hog and stuff like that," which is what she's expected to be, I guess. If you're not following the basic like survival rules. Then you're pro. Then then that's not good for your life. But if you're not following, but if you're not following what your parents are telling you to do, like what to be and what they expect you to be, that's probably a good thing. Sometimes. So, so it depends on what situation. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that you need to be independent. You need to pursue, you know, who you are and what you think you're meant to do. But you also need to be reasonable about your own limitations and not. Make, not make decisions that are going to damage you the way that Frankenstein did. How then, Claire, do you figure out who you are and what you're willing to sacrifice to achieve? I think that everyone who does that figures that out in a young age. Mm-hmm. Like based on how they act with their parents around or, or um, their foster parents or in an orphanage. When they're little is when they discover who they are because because of how they act. Hmm. So if like you're a bully, you're probably going to be mean growing up. And do you, you have to be mean growing up because you're a bully when you're young? Can you change? Yeah, I guess, but it'll. But it's not a very. But it's not a very rare thing. But it's also. But it's also not. But it's also not common for people. So it's not rare, but it's also not common for people to um, grow up to for people who are a bully to for who are a bully for a long period of time as a kid to grow up and just suddenly change or change think, over time. Why do you think change is not common? Because um it's very because if you've grown up doing that thing, then it can be hard to change something you've grown up with. It kind of seems like we're at a rock and a hard place though because then some of the expectations that parents place on you as as a child are to help you form those good habits that will really cement you and put you in a position to be in a good place later on down the line. And it's got to be hard when you're young and so new at life to to know the difference between what makes sense for you and what doesn't make sense for you, even though you're a smart kid. And I think that you know yourself better than your parents, than, than your mom and I know you. It's, it's tough. It's tough to know how to make those choices. Hmm. Well, I really feel like we've covered a lot of, of Frankenstein. Um, I think up next, uh, we're going to continue with James Whale, and we'll do The Invisible Man, which is the next in line for what he did. And then we'll go to Bride of Frankenstein from there. Um, Wait, but is that an original movie? Are you asking if it's a sequel to Frankenstein or if it's a standalone feature? Yeah, because you said original horror movies, and you said that there were only seven of them. Uh, got you, got you, got you, got you, got you, got you, got you. Um, so the the original Universal horror monster movies, um, when we say that, are 
the movies that were taking place at the beginning of Hollywood that were using these classic monster stories um, to kind of give birth to the horror genre. And James Whale made some of those that were, you know, Frankenstein and the Invisible Man. Um, but he also went on to make a sequel to that called Bride of Frankenstein. So, yes, I mean, they're they're related. And in that way, it's not original, but it's part of the original crop of movies that are kind of giving rise to this horror genre based on classic monsters. So um, on that subject, I have an interesting bit of film history to share that I researched in preparation for this podcast, just in case it came up. We're supposed to do research for this? <laughs> yeah, I do research for everything. <laughs> All right, what do you um, got? Okay, so um, this movie was produced in 1931, released in 1931. Yep. Um, the very first ever full-length feature film that had sound was called The Jazz Singer. It was put out in 1927. Yep. But it only had sound, uh, it was like a musical score, and it had some singing. There was no dialogue, because... In the 20s, all the films were silent. Okay. And so Frankenstein is released during this kind of weird interim period where there are still some silent films being produced. There are a whole bunch of new um, talkies, is what they called them, these films where there was actually dialogue um, with sound. And it was during the period where movie theaters were being converted because mm -hmm. the theaters were not set up to play sound with the films. Um, and it actually cost about $15,000 in 1930. Holy which, shit. Are which you is, serious? Yeah, which is like $220,000 in 2019 money to convert one theater. And there were thousands of theaters in the United States. So, you know, I had always thought about like, of like, oh, well, there were silent films and then there were talking films. And I didn't really think about that. That did not happen overnight. There was this sort of period where they were transitioning because... Um, you know, they started with big cities and then it kind of rolled out from there. Um, and any new theaters that were being built were being built with the sound yeah. technology. But some of the old ones, it took up to a decade to convert them over. Um, and the Universal Horror Monster movies are some, they're not all of them, but they're some of a batch that came out in the early 30s that were incredibly popular that are credited with the success of the talking picture because it seems ludicrous to us, but at the time it was actually really controversial and a lot of people thought that it was a fad, it was a waste of money, and it was stupid. And as soon as people got tired of the novelty of it, they were going to go back to silent films. So who wants to invest so, $220,000 exactly. to outfit to their theater? Potentially lose your film. And you also have to think about, you know, this is the Great Depression is in 1929. So this is right when... Nobody has any money really to invest in these theaters and you could lose your entire business with one bad decision. Um, and so, you know, when we go to the theaters now and there's these huge explosions and all this really cool sound um, and their entire ca uh, Academy Awards handed out for sound design and score, a lot of that is because of the success of these films that we're watching. Well, I take back... All the jokes that I've made about you being fired from this podcast is an excellent piece of trivia to include in this conversation. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe you should be fired. I accept that, yes. Yeah, but he's in the title, and I am not going to be addressed as Bill. Yeah. So no, you're there has to be a Bill. Be so unless Yellen. you're volunteering to be Bill, we have to keep him. It'll be Danielle and Claire's Excellent Adventures. Did I mean, you just call me by name? Uh-oh. Whatever. So let's, I'm going to segue into, well, let's just segue right into the outro. 
Um, if you don't follow the podcast, Bill and Clary's Excellent Adventures, you can find us on Twitter at BACEA Podcast. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, please do so and leave a five-star review if you can. It's the kind of support that only listeners like you can provide, and it's essential to us as we look to grow our audience. You can find me at WBDAS on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Um, I'm trying to be better about my Letterboxd. I am growing a list of the movies that we are watching for Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures. So if you would like to kind of see what's coming down the pipeline, um, we do often record uh, much further in advance than we release these episodes. Uh, feel free to follow me there and find the list uh, there. And I think that's it for outro business. So until next time. Yeah.